Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 11 through 24 today. We're continuing our way through the letter of Galatians and uh, working our way verse by verse, section by section, chapter by chapter, which, uh, by the way, I think is a great way to study Scripture together. It is our belief here at Trinity that the Bible is the very Word of God, and so one of the best things we can do is keep our noses in the text of Scripture rather than trying to read out of it our ideas and our opinions, focus on the text, and try to pull out of it what God is saying, God's ideas, God's truth, and therefore we hear God speak. And that's what we aim to do when we're studying Scripture together here at Trinity. And today we're looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Before I read, though, let me pray briefly and let's ask for God's help. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you Uh, For your word, we thank you that you have spoken to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that as we come now to hear your word, and as it's explained and applied, that you would help me uh, to be clear and accurate to what you are saying here, and Lord, we pray that we would come under the power of your word, that is, under the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and help us to understand and embrace uh, not man's gospel, Not a man-made message, but the very gospel of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 11. Let's hear God's word. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. But You've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Well, is the gospel from man or is it from God? Uh, Is the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, a man-made, made-up message, or does it come from God himself? That's the question facing us here today. Uh, Paul writes Galatians because his apostleship and his gospel were under attack. I want you to notice the similar language here up front of verse 1 and verse 12. 
in verse 1, Paul defends his apostleship. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Then in verse 12, Paul defends his gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul's apostolic authority is not from man and his gospel is not from man. His apostleship comes from the risen Christ and therefore his gospel comes from that same Christ. But in the Galatian churches, uh, as we'll see more as we work our way through this letter, there were certain men who had come into these churches, come likely from Jerusalem, and they were challenging Paul's apostleship and they were challenging his gospel. And they were evidently saying that Paul's apostleship wasn't really on par with or equal to the apostles in Jerusalem, like Peter and John. And more than that, that Paul had gotten the gospel all wrong. He had botched it, or at least he was leaving out some vital things that needed to be cleared up. And so I think with some, with some close reading of Galatians, we can try to discern together uh, what some of this teaching was uh, that was being given by these false teachers. They were on the one hand, they were adding to uh, Paul's message. They were, they were taking what was meant to be temporary and provisional, parts of the law of Moses, and adding it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that in chapter 5, verse 2, that these teachers demanded Christians be circumcised if they were going to be justified, if they were going to be right with God, if they were going to be in a right relationship with God, this was necessary uh, circumcision. And we can see in chapter 4, verse 10, that they were demanding that these Galatian Christians observe certain feasts and days in order to be called Christians. So I think what these men were evidently saying is, is basically this. Paul, he's a, he's a newcomer to the apostolic band. He's been tutored or been a student of the apostles down in Jerusalem, the original 12, and then he'd gone off to preach the gospel by himself, but has, uh, it's been a train wreck. I mean, he's made a botch of the gospel, or at best, he has left out some important things. And we're here from Jerusalem, uh, from the real apostles, and we're here to clear up Paul's mistakes. We're here to set you Galatian Christians straight. I think hopefully that sets things up for us today as we look at this passage. And let's look at how Paul begins to respond in verses 11 and 12. It says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I think verse 12 is an argument for the claim that Paul makes there in verse 11. And the claim in verse 11 that is that Paul's gospel is not from man. It's not man's gospel. He's saying the gospel I preached was not made up by man. I received it by a revelation through Jesus Christ. And literally, in the Greek here, literally Paul says that his gospel is not according to man. Now what does that phrase mean, not according to man? I think it means at least two things. First of all, it means that the gospel that Paul preached did not originate with man. No human made it up. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Paul starts out that great letter. Paul, servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Not the gospel of man, 
God's gospel. So the gospel is from God, from heaven, not man. It's God's gospel, not man's. I think that's the first thing Paul is saying when he says this gospel I preached was not according to man. But I think there's a second component to this. I think, secondly, Paul is also saying that the gospel I proclaim to you was not according to fallen human inclinations. The sinful desires of the flesh. I think that's what he's implying here, that there's this distortion these false teachers were introducing in order to conform the gospel to man's desires. One place I'd go to, to, to make that case is Galatians 6, verse 12, where Paul, listen to this, Paul says this about these false teachers. It is those who want to make a good show in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, their gospel is according to man. It's according to the flesh. Uh, it conforms to what they want to exalt their their, uh, their self-reliance through religious performance and, and really to protect themselves from external pressures. So their, their gospel, Paul is saying, con- it, it catered to the flesh and therefore it was according to man. And so Paul says that his gospel did not originate to, uh, with man and it did not appeal to the fallen inclinations of man. In fact, the gospel that Paul preached Well, it requires a powerful working of God in the heart before it is embraced and believed. I want to take a minute before we continue to walk through this passage together. I want to take a minute and just make sure the implications of verses 11 and 12 hit home with us today. Authority, apostolic authority and truth, the truth of the gospel are the issues here, aren't they? That's what Paul is is zeroing in on here. Paul is defending where his authority comes from, the risen Christ, and Paul is defending where he got his gospel from, the risen Christ. And what I want to do here is just put yourself in the shoes of the Galatian Christians for a minute. Two competing messages were being taught to them. The one that appeals to the flesh, and Paul's message that crucifies the flesh. Cursing, and as he'll make clear back in verses uh, 8 and 9, blessing and cursing hang in the balance here. Right? This is, this is a, 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 an issue uh, with eternal implications. Paul has already made that abundantly clear. And so Paul, I think, is a for, he's forcing the issue of authority and truth. And I want, I want us to think about that for a minute today because... In our society, authority for belief is grounded in the individual, and therefore a person can't, you know, the world is just rife with opinions. And uh, truth can be whatever a person wants it to be. If I can use the term, everybody's got a gospel. Uh, Everybody has an idea of ultimate reality and what the, you know, what the good life looks like. Everybody has an opinion about those things, and, and they will proclaim it to you like it's absolute truth, even though they deny, some deny the knowability of absolute truth. Some of those gospels might be, you know, be a good person and everything will turn out good in the end. Uh, I'm okay, you're okay, or just be yourself, or live and let live, or a thousand other man-made gospels. The world is full of claims to truth. But here's what I want you to think about. How often do people base their beliefs on a solid authority that gives warrant 
to make those kind of truth claims? Right, how often do people make a pl- give you a plausible explanation for the foundational basis for their opinions? I want you to think about that. Because as, as people are you know, slinging their opinions out there and getting it out as gospel, when, when was the last time you heard someone explain and defend? Now, those of you who are in Sunday school have to do five push-ups. <clears throat> when was the last time you heard someone defend the foundations of their worldview so that they could even begin talking about truth at all. You see, what, this is what Paul is bringing up here, the issue of truth and authority, and he's making it clear that truth and authority are inextricably linked. And you've got these false teachers you know, slinging out this message that is according to the flesh, according to the desires and opinions of man, but think about it, why would a message like that have any authority at all? You are not bound to the opinions of men. But if a message comes to you from God, about a message about the creator of the universe, a, a message about man as, as fallen and redeemed in Christ, a message about the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and sin and death and heaven and hell, if that message comes to you, from God, you see, it has a basis. It has, it has a solid foundation for being an authoritative message that is binding on you and me and is true whether we believe it or not. True because it's not according to the fleeting and fickle opinions of man, but according to the eternal purposes and the unchangeable will of God. I think that reality, that what, what I'm talking about here, it needs to... It needs to settle into our minds, brothers and sisters, and it needs to steady us because when you go out into the world, here's what people are going to want to make you think. As a Christian, they're going to want to make you think that you are the one without any foundation at all to stand upon, that you are the one making a blind leap in the dark to the conclusions that you make as a Christian. And, uh, you know, you just, you just take blind faith. It's just your opinion. Why should anybody listen to you in a, age of rationality you are seen as utterly irrational what i want to here's what i want to suggest to you just as an application of verses 11 and 12 i want to suggest that you, you know you don't shy away from that question about foundation and authority what basis do you have for making the truth claims you do as a christian we we can explain that it's it's it, our, the message of the Christian faith is not man-made. According to Christianity, it comes from God. It rests on his authority. So it has a foundation. It's not just an opinion hanging out there in the air like some kind of skyhook. Okay? Then what you need to do, though, is turn the table. Remember, we, if, again, if you were in Sunday school, we're not only on the defense, we're going on the offense. And what you need to say to your dear friend is, what about you? You know, what, what foundation do you have? What authority are you appealing to in order to make any kind of claim that has claim upon me? After all, if I or you are the source of authority, the final arbiter of truth, frankly, why should anyone listen to me? Why should anyone listen to you? Why should anyone listen to anyone? We could all just do whatever we want. But then what are you going to do? When your opinions about what's good and true come into conflict with what another person thinks is good and true. So you've got yourself in a conundrum there. And so I think when you start asking those questions, 
what you'll find is that a person's opinions are either just sort of suspended out there in the air and not connected to any kind of authority at all, or they are based upon a crumbling foundation. Okay, so the issues of truth and authority, my friends, they are inextricably linked. And brothers and sisters, I, I, want, you to, I want you to leave today feeling confident because you have a basis for believing that the gospel is not a made-up, man-made message. It is a message that comes from heaven. It comes from God. It comes from Christ through his commissioned and called apostles. Okay, so let's, that's just a, an application. Let's keep moving here in our text. Um, having, having claimed apostolic authority that comes from Christ and having claimed a message that he received through a revelation of Christ. Now what's Paul going to do? Is he just going to say, okay, so here's my opinion, Galatians, and here's the opinion of the false teachers. Take your pick. You know, take a shot in the dark and choose whatever you'd like. Is that what Paul does? No. Paul is going to argue his case. Paul is going to argue, actually, the whole book of Galatians is an argument, but particularly in verses 13 and 24, they are, they are inescapably argumentative. And so I want to take a, a look at Paul's argument together. They're, I think they're clearly intended to show us that there are compelling reasons to acknowledge Paul's apostolic authority and therefore to accept, accept Paul's apostolic gospel. So how does Paul argue then in verses 13 through 24? Well, uh, Paul, Paul said that the gospel he preached came to him by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now just think about that, that claim for a minute. It's an, it's an utterly audacious claim to make, isn't it? Paul is saying to the Galatian Christians, Christ appeared to me, Christ was revealed to me, Christ called me and has commissioned me, he has revealed his gospel to me, and he has sent me forth to the Gentiles to proclaim good news. That's what Paul is claiming here. It's an astounding claim to make. And so what he does here, because of the pressure that's being put upon him, is he gives support that he is an apostle of Christ commissioned to teach the church the gospel. And verses, uh, verses 13 through 14, take a look at how he gets started. Paul begins with his, well, his violent, anti-Christian, anti-Christ, anti-gospel pre-conversion life. He says, uh, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond Many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul says in verse 13, Look, I, I hated the church of God. I hated Christians. I ravaged against the church of Christ. Acts chapter 9 tells us that Paul persecuted the church, breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And then in verse 14, Paul says, Look, I was a... I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews. I outshined all of my peers in my religious zeal and my zeal for the traditions of the fathers. I could quote scripture to you all day long, and then I could tell you about the oral tradition that went along with it. I outshined all of my peers in my devotion to the tradition. But then what happened in Paul's life, existentially, in his experience? Paul's life was deeply disturbed by something, wasn't it? 
Paul's life was deeply disturbed when a group of people in Jerusalem started preaching the gospel. This band of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ started preaching and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And from his heart, Paul cried out, blasphemy. Now, why did it upset Paul? Well, Paul understood the implications of what these Christians were proclaiming. He understood that if the gospel they are proclaiming is true, then my religious zeal counts for zilch. That my obedience, my strict obedience to the law of Moses and my knowledge of the traditions of the fathers matters nothing for my standing before God. And so Paul or Saul raged against the church. And, uh, you know, why is he doing this? There's a question we need to ask. Why does Paul recount this to the Galatians? What's this have to do with his argument about, I am a commissioned apostle of the risen Christ, preaching Christ's gospel? How does that fit? Did you notice at the beginning of verse 13, Paul uses the word for? That's a key word because it's telling us, Paul's giving us a reason for what he has said in verses 11 and 12. He's making an argument. So how, how does this argument work? Well, I think, glance, glance down with me to verses uh, 22 through 24, and I think they help us see what Paul is up to. And here's Paul three years after his conversion, and he says, uh, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So Paul, what's he doing here? Big picture, Paul is pointing to his complete conversion. This radical 180 degree reversal from persecutor to preacher. For, for, from, from one who heard in the gospel a threat to his own religious identity, to one who embraced that very gospel and counted his former life rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ and making him known. From one who was willing to persecute believers to one who is now willing to stand alongside of believers despite serious persecution. From somebody who is willing to basically be a coat rack while Christians were stoned to death to being somebody who himself was willing to lay down his life for the gospel. How do you account for that? How do you account for this radical change in his life? What in the world happened? Was it, you know, I think this is what the false teachers are maybe throwing out there. Option one, despite his murderous zeal, somehow Paul became enamored with the apostles in Jerusalem, came under their tutelage, studied under them for three years, and then went out and started preaching himself and just totally made a mess of things. Or was it option two, did Jesus Christ alive from the dead, appear to the apostle Paul, call him, set him apart, commission him, reveal the gospel to him, and send him out to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Those are the two options Galatians presents us with. And the reason I think Paul describes his pre-conversion life is to show how utterly improbable it was 
for him to have brought under, been brought under the apostolic band when they were a group of men that he utterly despised and wanted to see dead. A group of men who were his former enemies. And he held their message in utter contempt. And so Paul, I think, argues that there is only one adequate explanation for how he could devote his life to Christ, uh, to a Christ he hated, to a church he wanted to see demolished, and how he could go out now and proclaim this gospel that demolished, I mean, it obliterated his pharisaical pride. And that, that explanation, I think, is there in verses 15 and 16. Look at those verses with me. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's, that's Paul's explanation for the radical change in his life. I wonder if you notice the change in subject. Paul's former life, I was zealous. Right? I, I exceeded my peers. Now who's the acting subject? It's God. God who set me apart. God who called me. God who commissioned me. Paul has an understanding that he is a man being acted upon by a divine sovereign force. And that's Paul's explanation for his calling to apostolic ministry and the message that he has received from the risen Christ. So here is, I think, how Paul's arguing. He brings, uh, he brings up his pre-conversion life of zealously persecuting the faith. He then points to his post-conversion life of preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And that raises the question, what caused this change? What caused this radical transformation in my life? Was it caused by man or was it caused by God? You see, the question then is, on what basis do you account for my life, dear Galatians? He knew he had seen and been called and commissioned by the risen Christ, but how, how could he in writing verify that to the, to the Galatian churches? What could he say to them? He pointed them, to the effect that changed his life, which was God. He pointed to the evidence of radical change from persecutor to preacher when God in his grace called and commissioned him to be an apostle to the Gentiles and to preach the gospel. And so Paul points to the evidence of the effects in his own life in order to confirm the, the cause. Again, he's saying, I was, I was advancing in Judaism. I had status. I outshined my peers. I despised the gospel. I hated Christ. I wanted to destroy the church. And I wanted the name of Christ blotted out from the earth. And now I live to make that same gospel known. I count my religious performance, my status, all of it, I count as trash for the sake of Christ for the sake of making Christ known, and for the sake of knowing Christ myself. You see, Paul believed that the change in his life was confirmation. It was confirmation for how he became an apostle, and confirmation for where he got his gospel from. And the simple explanation is this, Dear Galatians, Jesus, the risen Christ, appeared to me on the road to Damascus. And I want you to uh, listen to what uh, Acts, I think it's Acts 26, Paul recounts what the risen Christ said to him on the Damascus road. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Rise 
and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So this is Paul's argument. Now, very quickly here, in uh, verses 16 through 24, let me just show you quickly how Paul tightens up his argument here. Basically, he's saying to the Galatians, don't Don't think that when Jesus appeared to me on the Damascus road that he said to me, okay, go to Jerusalem and study under the apostles for three years. Then after three years, you'll be fit for ministry and you can go out and start establishing churches. No, just the opposite, Paul says. When I was called, converted, and commissioned, I didn't consult with anyone. I didn't didn't study under the apostles. I went to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. And during Those three years, what did Paul do? Well, there's debate, but I think Paul was preaching. I think Paul was ministering the gospel. I think uh, 2 Corinthians 11, that account of Paul being lowered down in a basket, likely took place during this time period. But then after these three years, he went up to Jerusalem. He saw Peter uh, for 15 days. While he was there, he saw James and no other apostles. Then he took off for Syria and Cilicia and began planting churches. So here I think is Paul's point. Think about this. Three years of proclaiming the gospel, 15 days of visiting with Peter. The Greek word is actually giving reports. 15 days of visiting with Peter. Is the claim of these false teachers that I'm an understudy of the Jerusalem apostles but have botched the gospel, is that really plausible? talk, Talk to the people in Damascus. Go and ask them. Write a letter to the churches in Jerusalem and Judea and find out how long I spent with the apostles. Ask them what we talked about. And then even more, in verses 21 through 22, he says that the churches in Judea didn't even know Paul personally. They knew about Paul, but they didn't know him in person. And I think the point of that is if Paul had been a student of the apostles for three years... Certainly the churches in Judea would have known him. Certainly some of the churches in Judea would have known him by person. And Paul says, they don't even know me. I've never met them. You can go and talk to them. In other words, let's wrap this up. Paul is saying, dear Galatians, my apostleship is independent. And my gospel is independent from the tutelage of man. My gospel comes from the risen Christ. My office And my message come from Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. What can account for the radical change in my life? Certainly not my religious background. Certainly not the apostles in Judea who don't even know me other than Peter. I've seen the risen Lord, he says. Seen the risen Lord. So believe me, I've been commissioned by Christ. And the gospel I preach to you is the only gospel There is the gospel of Jesus Christ given for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. I want to take just a minute here and apply to us today what Paul is saying. Maybe some of this seems removed from us. Well, these false teachers, they haven't come into our church. So what does this have to do with us? Well, think about, I want you to think about a story 
from the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, Chief priests and elders come to Jesus and ask him this question. By what authority do you say these things? And who gave you such authority? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, okay, I'll answer your question if you'll answer one question for me. So Jesus said, the, the, the baptism of John, is it from heaven or is it from God? Or is it from man, excuse me? Is it from heaven or is it from man? And you remember what the, these religious leaders did? They went and they debated it amongst themselves and they said, if, if we say from God, he'll say, why, why didn't you believe? And then they were, of course, afraid to say it's from man because of popularity of John the Baptist. So they came to Jesus and they said, we don't know. They, they erred for indifference and agnosticism. They were anything but indifferent. But friends, I want to take the question that Jesus asked those religious leaders and I want to turn it on us. Do you hear Jesus Christ asking you this question today? The gospel that my apostle Paul preached, is it from man or is it from God? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit. We cannot believe the gospel is from you and we cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unless you open our hearts to believe. And uh, Lord, I pray that everyone here today would seriously answer that question for themselves and not just brush it aside and say, oh, I don't know or I can't know. Lord, you have made it evident that the gospel is not made up. It's not according to man. It comes to us from you, from heaven. It has authority and its truth is binding upon all of us. And its truth is life. And so work in our lives that we all might believe. The apostle Paul, when he says, there is no other gospel but the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.